morning. This morning we're going to be reading from Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. We're meditating on the Psalms through the summer. We find ourselves at Psalm 12, a Psalm of David. When we looked at Psalm 11, David was lamenting about the havoc, the wreckage upon society, upon people that the wicked cause by their might, right? by, by, by their, their physical and organizational strength. But here in Psalm 12, David laments about the damage the wicked can do by their words. And David is, you almost get the sense that David is convinced that the wicked, by their mouths, by their arts of communication, by how they speak and how they communicate, that their mouths are actually mightier than their bows and arrows and can inf inflict more damage. So today I want to talk to you about words and their impact. Your words and God's words. That's what we're going to look at. Pamela Myers is the CEO of an organization called Calibrate. And it's an organization that teaches companies how to spot deception and dishonesty um, among their employees and with their clients and customers. She, al she, al she also recently authored a book called Lie Spotting, Proven Techniques to Detect Deception, something she has studied. You can actually watch her TED Talk on YouTube. It's one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time. Uh, as a result of her study, uh, Myers claims that we are each lied to every day between 10 and 200 times. She also claims that babies from a very early age can fake cry in order to get attention. And I can attest to that because we have an 11-month-old in our house who cannot speak in full sentences and yet can fake cry to get our attention and to get us to do what she wants or needs or thinks she needs, you know. Myers also claims that strangers, when they meet each other, will lie to one another three times in the first ten minutes of getting to know one another. She says that extroverts lie more than introverts. And this, I think, is sad but funny, that, that men lie eight times more about themselves than women do. 
So today's talk is not only about words and their impact, but today's talk is about words and their impact as it relates to truth and to falsehood, okay? The Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year for 2016 was post-truth. And this is how, this is how Oxford Dictionary decided to define what post-truth is. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So David in Psalm chapter, David in Psalm 12 is basically singing the blues about post-truth. Um, and what I hope you're going to see from David's words, from David's song, is that in a world where words deceive and destroy, God's words bring truth and grace. And what I want to talk to you today about are three things, the curses of deceitfulness, the blessings of truthfulness, and then finally, the hearing that comes by faith. So the curse of deceit, the blessings of truth, and the hearing of faith. Deceit, truth, and then how to distinguish between the two of them by faith, which is something that God can give us. So let's talk about the curses of deceitfulness. Uh, David sees that deceptive language is a curse upon society. And David is not the only uh, Jewish songwriter who has influenced me deeply. And he was maybe the first songwriter to talk about dishonesty, but not the last one. Because in the late 1970s, Billy Joel sang words about dishonesty. He said, honesty, some of you know it, honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. And this is, this is what David is saying. And he says, in verse, he says in verse chapter 2, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Now, that's a curious way of saying something. Flattering lips. What are flattering lips? Well, in the original language in which this was written, which was Hebrew, flattering lips meant smooth lips. Smooth lips. Um, slippery lips. And the idea there is lips that speak things that sound pleasing, things that sound smooth and delightful. And one Jewish scholar, uh, sorry, one Old Testament scholar says what he's talking about here is pleasurable speech that becomes so enticing and satisfying that it becomes indispensable to people. That people absolutely want to hear it and they feel they need to hear it. And it's the kind of speech that becomes to the listeners addicting. Now, what's the source of these flattering lips that David's talking about? Well, keep reading. He talks about a double heart. He's saying flattering lips come from a double heart. Flattering lips and a double heart by which they speak. Now, a double heart in the original language, and this is interesting, the, the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek Old Testament say the same things. They say flattering lips and a heart and a heart. They say a heart and a heart. A double heart. And this is, what, this is what David means by a double heart. He's talking about double talk. You know what double talk is? It's when you say one thing but really mean another. It's when you know one thing but tell people something else. It's when you believe one thing... 
but give a different type of an answer. It's when the words of your mouth, but the motivations of your heart are not in sync. A heart and a heart. Double talk. When powerful people and influential people obscure the truth, justice is obstructed, David tells us. And the weak are oppressed. And that's what he sees. And you know this from your own families or from your other churches you've been in or organizations or school systems or neighborhoods. You know that when leaders employ manipulative rhetoric, when they use their words, slippery, smooth words, people suffer. When leaders manipulate with language, followers suffer. When actually, when any of us, and you know this, when any of us misrepresent the truth, we deprive other people of what they need to make good judgments, don't we? When we, when we misrepresent the truth, we basically steal from the people around us a clear perspective on what's going on so that they can make good decisions, wise decisions. We take that away from other people when we misrepresent the truth by what we say or what we don't say. And this grieves David the songwriter, the shepherd, the king. It grieves him so much because he sees that they're good at it, that people are really good at doing this and they actually benefit from it. And he says in verse four, with our tongue, he quotes them. He's describing how they talk, but now he quotes them directly. And he says, this is what they're saying. With our tongue, we will prevail. Who is master over us? Actually, he says, our lips are with us. In one of your translations, it says, we own our lips. Well, yeah, kind of. I guess you own your lips. But, but they mean it in a very possessive way. They're saying our lips are our own. We are masters of what comes out of our mouths. And they finally say, David says, who is master over us? These are people who put confidence in their mouth. You ever meet somebody who has a lot of confidence in their ability to say something? Maybe you do. But they put confidence in their mouth and, and eventually, and you've seen, you've seen political leaders do this and celebrities do this. Uh, if you're successful with manipulative rhetoric, eventually you will believe that you can say absolutely anything you want to say. And even be praised for it and complimented for it. And so he says in verse 8, vileness is exalted among the children of men. Their peers, their peers compliment them on their ability to get what they want by how they speak and how they communicate. But if what Pamela Myers said is true, I want you to think about something. Lying is not a one-way street, is it? You have to be lied to. Deception is not a one-way street. You have to be deceived, Pamela Myers says. David's talk of flattering lips, of smooth, slippery speak. It means pleasurable talk, one, one Old Testament commentator said. Talk that is filled with pleasure. Talk that pleasures you. I'm not a scientist, and those of you who come from scientific or sociological backgrounds would have a lot more to say about this than I possibly could. But my understanding is that dopamine, uh, dopamine causes your brain to desire more information and more stimulation and more pleasure. 
that, that the do- dopamine that's, that's transmitted between those neurons in your, in your skull, um, actually, it, 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 it's what drives you to desire information and stimulation and pleasure. And that if that goes unchecked by reasonable thinking, by good common sense, right, if that goes unchecked, it can cause addiction. It can cause addictive behavior and mood swings and cycles in somebody. Social media is like coffee. I want you to think about, I know some of you have Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts and you have phones that, that uh, people are able to text you messages. Um, one psychologist said that actually uh, this whole concept of dopamine and, and what it causes our brains to do, if gone unchecked, uh, it has an impact on how we look for information and how we receive information, especially on the World Wide Web and especially through social media in the same way that coffee impacts us. Facebook is all over the world for the same reason that Starbucks is all over the world. We're addicted to caffeine and we're addicted to satisfying information. When your phone tweets that you have a text, when you get on Facebook and see that people have liked your pictures and your comments and your opinions and your arguments and you want more and more and more of that. And we find that we need that positive affirming feedback in our lives. We need to hear pleasuring talk come out of the mouths of other people. We need pleasuring, pleasuring, pleasurable input, pleasurable input from other people, satisfying Information And then we become addicted to it. And that is why the wicked, David says, are so successful in getting their way when they speak. Is because they know the type of communication that people want to hear and want to believe even against their better judgment. Think about post-truth again. Actually, it was, it was the... Uh, let me make sure I've got this right. It was the Apostle Paul... Later, hundreds of years later, in 2 Timothy, his letter to his friend Timothy, who said this, very perceptive of Paul to say this, a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. Let me stop for a second. Um, For pleasurable speech to have an impact, ears have to be itching for it. Okay, and so Paul says... There will be a time when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That was in the context of Paul telling Timothy, you've got to preach God's word faithfully all the time because people have itching ears. They're going to want to hear anything and everything and you have to just keep bringing God's word, God's truth back to them faithfully because people have ears that itch. Or what they're addicted to hearing. So we live, we live, friends, in a post-truth world, in a fake news world, where social media and the internet, despite their wonderful qualities, nonetheless increase our propensity to deceive and destroy, to hurt one another with our language, with how we communicate. And David laments In Psalm 12, that deceptive language is like a curse on our society and in your family and and in your neighborhood and, and where you work. Words can deceive and destroy. 
Now, I said I would open it up for a couple of minutes. I want to hear from you. And really just like one word answers just because of time. Where, where in the world or in society or in your neighborhood or in your life, in what circumstances have you seen words deceive and destroy? What do you think? Where have you seen it? Marriages. Words can deceive and destroy marriages. Yeah. That's pretty much as close to home as it gets for us. What else? Yeah. Yes. Children's, in, children's wor- uh, in children's relationships with their friends, words can, st- can deceive and destroy um, there was a, I remember a guy in high school who was picked on for years and years and years. And his, his yearbook quote when he graduated blew, blew me away. Everybody picked on this guy. And, and you know, the, you know the, the children's rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. His graduating quote was, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will break our hearts. And I've never forgot that. Gossip. Yes, that is a and does it, gossip gossip is now for now because of the internet and World Wide Web, you don't need a face to face conversation or a phone a, a, a telephone to gossip and slander. You can go right onto Twitter or right onto Facebook and slander somebody with, with almost with, with, with impunity. Over here, Ethan. So academic plagiarism, you're a teacher. So when students submit and you've got to figure out, I wonder if that book would be helpful also for educators, like how to spot deceptive book reports and, and essays. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure they would have plenty to say about that. One more, yeah. Labor, here's a man who, he says labor negotiation. So, so here's a man who, who, who uh, the ocean in which you swim involves unions, labor unions, uh, which, which, uh, it, there is massive, uh, massive manipulation of language in, in, in labor negotiations. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. One more because I saw it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Politics. politics. Yeah. That's kind of a nice segue from labor nego- <laughs> negotiations. Yeah. In politics. And, and, you know, you can when you watch the news and you watch some politicians talk, um, you can almost you can almost see it in their faces. Have you ever thought to yourself, this person is lying to me and I don't even think they realize that, that they're, they don't fully understand uh, that we all can tell they're lying. <laughs> They've done it so much. Yeah. So listen, thank you so much for your comments. I'm going to close the comment time and focus again on working through Psalm, uh, Psalm 12. You know, not only can words curse... But words can bless. Okay? And now David talks about the blessings of truth. David shows us that God's speech always outwits and outlives lies. David takes hope in the mouth of the Lord. There are mouths of the wicked and the people in society. But David puts his hope in the mouth of the Lord. Look at verses 5 and 6. It's interesting because he, he, quotes, he quotes the wicked, but now he quotes God. He describes the words of the people in the world, but now he describes the words of his God. 
And he, he says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. The God of the Bible is going sooner or later to act. To make things right, which is ultimately what justice is. And in verse 6, he says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The number seven in the Bible, it's, it's symbolic of fullness, of completion. So when David says, God's words are, are like silver that's been purified, that's been burned, that's been refined seven times, what he's saying is, God's words, God's truth is absolutely, unconditionally perfect and pure. That, that there are no imperfections in God's word. That there is absolutely no falsehood, no untruth, no deception, no misrepresentation in what God declares. As we read earlier this morning from Isaiah chapter 45, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. So David describes and quotes the wicked, and then he describes and quotes the Lord. So let me ask you a question. Are you only taking in the words of a culture? You know what our culture is saying? You know what politicians and, and the movies and TV shows and what people are saying on the Internet and what your friends and family members and coworkers tell you? You know what the world says? Okay, do you know what God says? What are you taking in? What do you keep remembering in your mind when you go to sleep and you can't sleep? When you've got nothing to do, what words are ringing around in your consciousness? You know what the world says? Okay. But do you know what God says? Because you will not know what to make of what the world says if you're not listening to God's words. And the more you listen to God, the purer your own speech becomes. The more you listen to God, and digest, now, I don't mean listen as in just read what God says and memorize what God says, but believe it, accept it, adopt it as your own. As you begin to do that, your own speech becomes more like your heavenly father's. It goes through a purification process. And you, through your words and through your language, and when you speak and when you don't speak, you start blessing instead of cursing. You start benefiting instead of um, obstructing people. In Proverbs 15, just three sayings from Proverbs 15 about this. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit, as our friend said earlier. A man finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? I, you may be more like me. I, I have always had a tendency in my life to be a big mouth and to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Um, I have had a tendency in my life to speak for my own selfish gain and to remain silent for my own self-preservation and protection. Do you understand what I'm saying? To speak in order to promote yourself and to attack and hurt others and to win and to be silent in order to protect yourself and guard your own self-interest. But, but God changes all that. The truth of God, as we listen and take it in, it changes our approach so that we begin to speak for others' benefit 
And when we remain silent, it is still for others' benefit. So as not to impose too much of a burden upon them. So whether we speak or whether we remain silent, we use the wisdom of God to be prudent, to practice good judgment, to love others with our speech, to love others with our silence, so that whether we're speaking or whether we're silent, it is never self-seeking. It is always intended for others because we are allowing the truth of God to impact how we perceive and how we hear and then how we respond. So the Apostle Paul, in light of this, gives excellent advice in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, you've heard this before, but let's put it into its real context now. Paul said, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are all members of one another. He went on to say in Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There's a, an expression, there's a question we ask ourselves in our home, of our children, and even Becky and I have to ask this of ourselves. When we speak, are we tearing one another down or are we building one another up? That word you just said, that comment you just made, the way you're talking, um, is it in, are you intending to build someone up or are you intending to tear them down? Our words and even our silence by, by the light of God's truth can bring blessing to one another. That's how the word of God, the truth of God always outwits and outlives corrupt talk. Now, you may be saying, well, hold on a second. How, how does Psalm 12 apply to soft-spoken people, to introverted people? To the more passive types, because I'm, I'm more extroverted, I'm, I'm not passive, I'm more confrontational, um, and, and I'm not soft-spoken. Uh, by nature, that's just not how I'm wired, uh, and, but maybe you are. Maybe some of you are, and you're going, well, hold on, how do, what do I take out of Psalm 12? Maybe I get away, right? Maybe I get, maybe I get out of this one without having to really look at myself. Well, hold on a second. Now, I, I, granted... What David is initially talking about here and what he seems to be describing are uh, people like dictators, right? fake news spinsters, um, corrupt politicians and, and uh, corrupt big business CEOs. Right? And um, it's, it's easier maybe to apply this idea of using words in a destructive way if you're extroverted, if you're confrontational, if you're a loud mouth, if you're a potty mouth, if you're a New Yorker. Sorry about that one. But hold on a second, maybe, maybe you have, maybe you have this crafty ability to be selective with what you say. Maybe you have the ability to offer just enough of your opinion or just enough of the truth or the facts of a situation and withhold just enough of your opinion and just enough of what you saw and what you heard as to protect yourself so that you're not implicated. What, what if you are clever enough and creative enough to speak in such a way as to keep people 
at a distance so they can't get too close to you. So they can't really know the true you, the real you, the secret you. What if you use words selectively and what if you spend most of your time in silence because you're just afraid that you will sound stupid to people, that they'll laugh at what you say. And so nobody really knows who you are. Nobody really knows what you think. It's okay to be shy. It's okay to be introverted. God made you that way. But maybe you use silence. Maybe you use selective communication to hide the truth about yourself. Or to not offer to another person the perspective, the truth they need to change, to to heal, to grow. You're not building them up at all. You're just placating them. You're, 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 you're giving them half-truths, which is still a misrepresentation of the truth. And it's just as wicked. It's just as wicked because people still suffer when you misrepresent the truth. Some of us just talk and talk and talk and beat each other up with our words, even if we're right. But we're unloving. And some of us just don't want to speak and don't want to give bad opinions and are afraid of what people are going to think of us. And we don't share. We don't talk. We don't speak. We only compliment. We only praise because we're afraid of people, because we're addicted to the the feeling of people liking us. And so we withhold what has to be said. That's why the Proverbs say that the righteous person knows when to speak. Not never to speak, not always to speak, but wisdom teaches us when to speak. Eugene Peterson, he's the pastor writer who wrote a great book about the Psalms called Answering God. And Eugene Peterson said, there are three types of human language. Now, if you're an you know if you've studied anthropology or sociology or language, he's, this is not technical jargon. Okay, this is figurative. This is creative. This is artistic. Okay, it's coming from a pastor, and and, and but he says there are three types of human com- communication. He says first there's the there's the language of personal intimacy and relationship, and this begins when you're an infant. This is the cooing. And, and, and the, the unintelligible but meaningful sounds that, that are uttered between, between an infant and a parent. Sounds that may sound like gibberish to us, but are filled with love and trust and devotion and commitment and wonder. But there's a second type of language, Peterson says, it's the language of information. Because as we grow, we begin to say, oh, that's a ball. That's a doggy. That's a car. That's how to read. That's how to write. Um, oh, that's, uh, that's heat transfer. That's biology. That's the solar system. This is how to run a bank account. This is how, this is how to talk to somebody. Right? This is how to drive a car. So there's the language of information where we just explore and develop knowledge about the people and the world in which we live. And we're doing this for the rest of our lives. But there's a third language, he says. It's the language of motivation. Where with mere words or certain types of communication, we can get people to do what we want them to do. 
Maybe it's good. Maybe it's based on we get people with words to understand what our needs are or our desires. That could be positive or negative. But the language of motivation, Peterson says, is it's, it's when we learn how to use words to cause people to act and to think according to our needs and according to our desires. Now, what's interesting is Eugene Peterson says it is the first language the language of personal intimacy and relationship that captures prayer. That's what the Psalms are all about. Do you see that? When you pray and when you worship the living God and when you read these Psalms and look at them, it's all, it, mostly, not all, but mostly it's the language of personal intimacy and relationship. But Peterson goes on to say human beings are the least proficient with that language. As we grow up, we begin to realize that it's the language of information and it's the language of motivation that really get us places, that really get us what we want and what we think we need. And we start to neglect the language of intimacy and relationship, which is why you have such a hard time praying, which is why worshiping your creator sometimes feels like it's not what you want to do. Because we hone in on information and motivation and we begin to neglect intimacy and relationship. Why do we do this? Jesus said something about Satan. Jesus, when he was teaching in John chapter 8, he said this about the devil. This is interesting. He, he, he said the devil was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus said about the serpent in the garden. Actually, in some of your translations in the New International Version, it says when he lies... He speaks his own language. That's closer to the original writing. He speaks his own language because he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus was trying to say to people, the reason you don't trust me, the reason when you listen to me and don't believe me is because you're acting like him. Because your way of thinking and the way of speaking and your way of hearing is much more like the serpent in the garden than my heavenly father. And by the way, if you go back to these languages, what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve? The serpent convinced Adam and Eve that although they had God's intimacy and relationship, it wasn't enough. That he was holding out on them. That they needed information that God had and wouldn't, wasn't giving to them. And Satan motivated them to do what he wanted as opposed to what God wanted. And the rest, my friends, is human history. So this is interesting. James, as we talk about the devil, the father of lies, using speech to destroy humanity. And that's why we talk the way we do. Right now, James said every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So what relief is there? You know, what, what relief is there? What salvation do we actually have from our own mouths? How can you save yourself from your own mouth? 
How can you save yourself from how you perceive what people are saying to you and how you respond in kind, whether it's with words or whether it's in silence? What salvation is there from all this? David takes hope in the mouth of the Lord. But if you're going to hope in the mouth of the Lord, you have to hear with faith. You have to hear in faith. Jesus would say in his parables, he'd tell these stories, and then he would, he would end his stories by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What are the ears of faith? How do you hear by faith? Well, let me get there and then we'll be done. The prophet Zechariah, he talked about the coming Messiah, the one that would come, who would be Jesus. And he said this, he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. And then John, John told us the word became flesh. The truth of God became a person. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. What does that mean? That Jesus, the living word of God, is full of grace and truth. It means that Jesus calls out the sickness and offers the cure. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. You know, some of you just want to call out the sickness. Some of you are all about truth and only about truth. And when you speak, even if you're right, you're speaking to win. And you could care less about the love of God and loving the people around you. And you're just using words to dominate, even if they're correct words. But you are not full of grace as Jesus was. Now, some of us, on the other hand, we're more interested in the cure. We just want to offer the cure to people. We just want to love people and be nice to people and pacify people. But we're afraid of people. We just want love Because we seek and we lust after approval. And so we're all about love, but we could care less about truth. But Jesus brings them both together beautifully. The grace of God and the truth of God. And then Satan tried with Jesus what he succeeded with Adam and Eve, didn't he? When Jesus was in the wilderness about to begin his ministry and he had fasted and prayed by himself for 40 days. Satan found him too when he was vulnerable. And, and, and what, he try, what Satan tried to do with Adam and Eve, he was unsex, unsuccessful in achieving with Jesus. Because he said to Jesus, hey, I know you're hungry. I'll tell you what. How about you turn these stones into bread? I'll help you do that. And you, you deserve to eat. And Jesus responded to him by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus said to the devil, it is written, ah, the word of God. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus was remembering what Moses told the Israelites. God didn't give you manna just just because you were hungry. God gave you manna to learn to trust him and not anything else or anyone else. And so Jesus is saying to Satan, I am trusting not in bread and in my own abilities. I am trusting in the word of God alone. And so Jesus, Jesus, who was God, nonetheless trusted not in himself, but in the words of his heavenly father. He heard what God said. He trusted in what God said. And now my encouragement to you is you do the same. You trust in Jesus's words to guide how you hear 
what you're hearing in your life and in the world. And then you let Jesus guide and determine how you speak and what you say. And when you talk and when you're silent. And you let Jesus speak for you. Because Jesus would go on to say in Matthew chapter 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Who talks like that? Nobody, talk, nobody assumes to talk like that. Not even the, the politicians who you think are lying to you. None of them will say that. Nonetheless, Jesus did. The only sure thing in the universe is the word of Jesus. Genesis chapter 1 tells us it was by his mouth that he spoke all of the universe into being. And so God's word is perfectly reliable to trust because it is the only thing that is keeping this planet spinning and rotating. And it is the only thing, the word of God, that is keeping you alive and that will allow you to endure for eternity if you trust it. In a world where words deceive and words destroy, God's word brings truth. And more than that, because truth is not enough, God's word brings grace. And there's a place where Paul says, this is how we should act as followers of Jesus, where we speak to one another, we speak the truth in love. Jesus did that for you. And as his word endures forever, now you listen to his word and you allow him to inform how you listen to other words and you allow Jesus to inform you and in how you speak. I would even say you listen to Jesus and you allow him to speak for you. That's the way forward. And he demonstrated the saving power of God's speech. Right? David says in Psalm 12 that God's truth will deliver the poor. And that is true. And Jesus shows us that not only does God's truth deliver those who are weak and oppressed, but God's truth will deliver you, will deliver anyone who stops trusting in their own mouths and begins to rely on his. And that's what it means to hear by faith. Let's pray. Father, I ask that if anything that I have said was less than the truth, that you would spare my friends uh, the impact of it, that they would only have heard and would only listen to your truth, your words, as it comes out. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who was full of grace and truth. And in his name, give us your grace to speak the truth in love to one another and to this community and to our world. Amen.